0: Welcome to the premiere episode of On Democracy with F.P. Wellman on call I'm thrilled to partner with Colin to bring this podcast to you live and we'll publish on iTunes uh, and Spotify. Uh, Colin is the easy-to-use, all-in-one platform for hosts and creators. With the app, you can stream, take questions, record, edit, and share your content all in one place. I hope you'll download the app if you haven't already. Join us live like you are now to talk about our democracy, how we can all help move the nation forward. So, I'm going to get on with the show. I'm so excited. Let's do this thing. I played that music for Heather earlier and she thought I was playing some Odessa music, which is an ongoing fight with us about my EDM, but here we are, it's not. (laughs) You know, I'm so excited to be on the air with you guys today. I'm your host, Fred Wellman. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, and I see a lot of friendly names already. uh, I'm a man of many hats, but I fill my time these days as a pro-democracy advocate, a political campaign consultant, and an activist. I'm the former executive director and a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, and I currently serve as a campaign consultant to some, you know, really terrific national candidates running for office. I'm the co-founder of this thing called the Beer Hall Project, which we'll talk about at some point. I'm really excited to be a a senior advisor to a group called Voters of Tomorrow, which is a Gen Z group trying to activate our next generation to participate in our democracy. So clearly I can't hold a single job. I'm a bit of a gig guy. I'm like, I'm like an Uber driver in politics. I'm coming to you live from our palacious broadcasting studio, the top of Wellman Tower in St. Louis, Missouri, which is actually had uh, their office just over the day. Uh, I've kicked around the idea of launching a podcast for years, uh, but the time never seemed right, and to be honest, I kind of felt it was a little bit on brand for a middle-aged white guy, but here we are. Um, I did pull the trigger, though, and uh, my friend, Avery, my friend who's with us up today, uh, recruited me to join Call In and, and give it a shot. So I'm just really thrilled to collaborate with Colin, and I can't thank you guys enough for joining me on this inaugural episode of On to Mox's FP Wellman. Uh, I hope to make the show informative. I hope to make it educational, perhaps funny, hopefully, and occasionally even enlightening. If you know me at all, and I think a lot of you do, there probably will be some cussing. now nah, you know, there's definitely going to be cussing. Uh, I actually wrote in the script, so here we are. So what do we got this evening for our first show? I'm really excited. Uh, my first ever guest... Uh, is awesome. I've, I wanted to launch with someone who shares my concerns about our country and uh, our sensibility about how to fight back. And, and that will be Rachel Vimman, And we'll, we'll talk to Rachel in a minute. I've known her for a while. You'll hear a little bit about that, how I how I sucked her into my crazy world and uh, and the work she's doing, which is really important. Uh, but before I get to chat with her, I've I got some stuff on my mind, you know, from the attempts by the GOP to divert our attention from the real issues we face, you know, the latest revelations that just came out today about the January 6th insurrection, and of course, uh, the Mark Esper rehab tour, uh, which I, <laughs> I can't imagine we won't talk about that. And then, of course, with Rachel, and then uh, I can't resist, we're just going to have to talk about this insanity around the Roe v. Wade uh, repeal. And, you know, just as we were getting ready to go on the air, we got word that, uh, the, the Women's Health Act was turned down by the Senate and our friend Joe Matchin actually joined the Republicans in turning it back. So, so there's a lot going on today in the country that we need to talk about. And, um, and let's get to it. So, you know, you know it's, it's funny how often I find myself saying, you know, what the fuck? And, and I have to be real specific these days because there's a lot of fucks. Um, but there's so many to choose from. And, and when I talk about – one of the things I was thinking about as I was getting ready is the, the GOP's talent – at diversions and distractions and and I think this, GOP, this the roe v Wade leak the the Alito the, the leak gave you a perfect example of what i 'm talking about to use and when I talk about how how our friends on the other side divert us from the real issues and and the perfect example was how when the leak came out, it only took about three hours for Republican talking points to hit the air where they're saying, oh, well, uh, it, it's not the leak. It's not the content. It's the leak. I mean, uh, McConnell himself got up there in front of a podium and said, oh, you got, it's, it's not, this is about norms and traditions. The Supreme Court's been, you know, offended by this leak. And and, and they try to make the conversation less about the outrageous things that Alito had published, and, and let's not forget the, the domestic supply of infants, right, uh, to just the leak and how these norms and traditions have been blown up. After four years of Trump, norms and traditions are a bit of a, you know, a bit of a joke, right? So, This is what they're so good at. And so at first it was the issue of the leak and not the content. And then we spent the weekend, for me frustratingly, talking about whether it's okay to protest at the Justice's Home. And once again, our friends at the GOP jumped right on it to say, oh, this is outrageous. They're protesting. This is crazy. Again, the issue not being the angry people, especially women who are trying to save their own health care and the health care of the next generation of our nation. No, instead we're focusing on the proper way to protest. I mean, I even saw very smart people that I I talk to a lot on the internet, on Twitter, especially if you know me, you know I'm on Twitter. You know, talking about that issue, and then and my God, the Senate passed a law in like four hours to protect these poor innocent, uh, you know, Supreme Court justices. I mean, and don't forget, Susan Collins called the police in her because someone wrote, I'm not kidding, in pink chalk on her sidewalk. Uh, and she, she felt threatened by pink chalk that literally the protesters are so violent they literally said please in their message to her to fight back for women's health so we have got to do a better job of not falling for this I mean by the time the election comes around it'll be whether it's, it's going to be the issue to be people who are for protesting versus anti-protesting uh, and that's not the issue the issue is a woman's right to choose their own health care a woman's right to choose her future and I worry because Democrats and all of us keep falling for it so I gotta tell you that's my first stop falling for it right focus on the issues push them back make them defend and that's what we got to do now today uh, you guys might know if you follow me i'm obsessed with january 6 stuff i actually started the beer hall project with my co-founder cyrus schick because you know we have really been concerned about the erasure of january 6 and the way that the participants in that that attempted coup have tried to rewrite history Today, a really startling set of emails came out from John Eastman, who is turning out to be sort of the the architect of a lot of what I call the paper coup. Uh, there was really kind of two two phases of the coup, right? There was the violence, which we focus on a lot on January sixth, but really the coup was taking place it was really what they call the paper coup. It was all these efforts by John Eastman and and Rudy Giuliani, and Mr. Sweaty, and the the nut show that they have filing them. All these folks. um you know, it, are 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 trying. We're trying to rewrite the laws and get around to presenting uh, a, a, a path to power for Trump remaining power, be it by falsifying election results, creating fake elect, uh, elector lists. And so, what Eastman got caught in these emails that were revealed from his Colorado, um, the, his professorship in Colorado, uh, the Denver Post got hold of him, and then Politico. It shows that he was literally instructing. A, a state legislator in Pennsylvania on a, on a road map of how they could get around the count and actually throw out absentee ballots for, for and, and then use a, a this bizarre math equation to basically throw out all the the Biden absentee ballots because there was an unusually large number so clearly they were fake and then come up with a new set of electors and what's and, and Greg Sargent who I'm hoping to get on the show next week. At the Washington Post did a great job explaining that while they may have failed, uh, on 2020's election, Eastman has presented a very clear roadmap and a strategy for the next time so that they won't fail on the next one. And this is what we talk a lot about at the Beer Hall Project is that, you know, that we have to be sure to understand that the the end was not January 6th. The start was January 6th. And much like the Beer Hall Putsch in Munich in 1923 with Hitler, Hitler learned his lesson that that wasn't the path to power. He would manipulate the levers of power, the weak democratic institutions of the Weimar Republic to seize power. And he did. And we kind of know what happened after that in 1933, right? So we are very firmly, and I personally am a big believer that, you know, we have to be aware of what's happening in our country. And every time these revelations come out, um, we have to pay attention to them. Now, would love to see some action, but but here we are, um, and I, we'll talk about that in our time too. But uh, I think every day we're seeing just how insidious this paper coup portion of this was, and just how dangerous it was. And I think we all have to, as as, as who love our democracy and our republic, to understand the danger we face still. That nothing has changed. It's almost in many ways worse. And then finally, and then we'll segue into my talk with Rachel, who I can't wait to. If you haven't met her before or talked to her, you're gonna love her to death, like I do. Um, my friend, secretary of defense, Mark Esper, uh, Dr. Esper, who is on this reputation rehab tour. And he, you know, if you've turned on the TV or, uh, the internet for the last week, you're seeing the steady drip of revelations from his book, uh, and his hero, his, I was a hero reputation rehab tour. I mean, I gotta tell you, it's, it's quite an espa- escapade in, uh clean up on aisle trader that, uh, that he's executing you know and and we keep seeing the talk the press talk about the the moments in the job where he portrays himself as the bulwark between a crazed trump and the good of the nation and as the wonk the wonkette put it so eloquently online yesterday and, had, and, and, and of course what rachel sent to me is uh you know mark Esper has measured himself and found that he's a hero in his own eyes right and we'll talk a little bit about his performance more with Rachel because she lived it. I mean, this is uh, there's there's something like ten pages in the book about what happened to Alex of and, and and Rachel uh, as they went through what they did for our nation. Um, but you know, the thing that bothers me, aside from all that, is the question is not being asked of Mark Esper that I want to see asked is why did you take the job? Right? I mean, we keep hearing these conversations with him where he talks about the things he faced and how hard it was, and how he saw himself in that he didn't resign from the job because he saw himself as, you know, the bulwark. Um, and if, if he quit, well, who would replace him? Somebody worse. So this hero. But here's the thing that he keeps skipping by, and I worry that we keep skipping by. Well, why'd you take the job, Mark? The fact is, Mark Esper became Secretary of the Army at um, November of 2017. Okay, this is 11 months or you know, 10, 11 months into the Trump administration. This is long after the July 2017 uh, issue of the transgender ban uh by tweet, okay? This is long after many of the more outrageous, this is long after the Muslim ban. This is long after some very outrageous things we knew already knew Trump was executing, but yet Mark Esper, volunteered and took a role as Secretary of the United States Army and was in that job for a couple of years before he stepped up to take over Secretary of Defense. So while we could all fall for his bullshit, talking about what a hero he was, he kept us from danger. The fact is, he volunteered to step into the freaking arena, knowing exactly for whom he would be working, and yet still took the job. Why? Well, I mean... We know why. Blind ambition. <laughs> I mean, let's not bullshit ourselves, right? Why on earth would a lobbyist for Raytheon want to serve as a Secretary of the Army for one of the most reprehensible people to ever serve in the presidency? It's good for him, right? And and so is getting his reputation rehabbed, so is selling books. Um and so I I am I'm dismayed when I see the political press, who I will give credit to, many are holding them accountable uh by the same token. A lot of our friends of the political press are also ignoring the big glaring question. If it was so bad, why'd you take the job in the first place? Because you know what, you guys. I know a lot. I'm a former Republican. Okay, I was a Republican my whole life until well, I would tell the story several times. Until Trump showed up, and a lot of good friends I know wanted to serve in a Republican administration. And I tell you what, they didn't. They chose not to serve this president because they knew just how bad Trump was. Uh, People of honor chose not to serve a dishonorable person. Um, yet Mark Esper did. So anyway, I would love to talk to, we're going to talk to my friend Rachel about this. So our, our, our good, our guest today is my good friend Rachel Vim, as I mentioned a couple of times, uh, her formal bio, cause we've got to be formal. Rachel is an opinion columnist at USA Today and a member of the USA Today Board of Contributors. She's co-host the Suburban Woman Problem Pod- Podcast and advisory board member for the Renew Democracy Initiative, which I'm a big fan of. Of course, she's married to retired Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vimin, who we, we all have great respect for. Uh, who participated in the first impeachment hearings of Donald Trump. And as a military spouse for many years, over 20 years, she lived in Germany, Ukraine, and Russia. She's served her country just as we have. She's an active parent, volunteered her daughter's elementary school. Where I, I know her daughter well. <laughs> I've gotten a chance to know her uh, in Prince William County. The thing is, she's really tried, found her voice as an activist. And, and honestly, she's just a plain-spoken political commentator on Twitter. You could follow her at Hobbyist, like I do, which is actually how we connected originally <laughs> But probably my favorite description of Rachel Vimmon comes from that Wonkette article that I mentioned earlier about yesterday, which discussed the reaction to his rehab attempts. And uh, uh, Eugene Vimmon had tweeted about it, but so had Rachel. And as the, as the author of the article wrote, Rachel Vimmon, Alexander's wife, was less restrained. <laughs> and so uh, nothing describes my friend Rachel more than being less restrained than perhaps Alex and Eugene And as Rachel said yesterday, those words will probably end up on her tombstone. So welcome, Rachel. I'm so excited to have you talk to us today. Uh, We've come a long way, haven't we? Uh,
1: Indeed, we have. And (laughs) thank you for having me. This is um, awesome. I already love this platform. This is is really great. I love the idea of it. And just sitting here on my sofa, um, like being able to chat and have a meaningful conversation without a lot of equipment, it's really great.
0: Right? I love it. Too simple.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good. Uh, So, yeah, we, I mean, uh, so there, there have been a lot of times in the past, you know, almost two years, let's say year and a half, when I'm like, oh, we're going to go meet someone. And Alex is like, do you, do you know this person in real life or did you meet them on Twitter? And,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, you're uh... the first person
1: that we ever met, that I ever met. But Alex, I met is that know? right? Yes, that I got wow. on Twitter. See, it turned out wow. well. So I, I had no experiences. There you There's go. No well, reason to not keep replicating it because you've become a good friend. So there
0: it is. There it is, and it's funny. And you had, of course, you guys had visited my 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 daughter and her mom own a store yes. in Virginia, and it's funny. So I, for you guys, what happened was was during the I think it was during the impeachment, just after Rachel, um, y'all ordered online. It was during the pandemic. Y'all ordered online. So some you products from you the tweeted store. about it. Right. Like, right. It's it's <laughs>
1: But I still ordered it to be shipped to me. I mean, I think stores weren't even open then.
0: No, I, no, they were just doing takeout.
1: Yeah, and for and for, um, for some of my mom friends for Mother's right. Day. And uh, great products. I never take a bath without one of the bath bombs. And, Excellent. Um, yeah, so
0: <laughs> yeah, so my daughter connected. sent me a picture. Yeah, my daughter sent a picture. He goes, hey, is this the Zinman? The? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, damn it. I said, you put a note in there. And, and then I tweeted about it, I said, hey, we love these folks. And then you'd reach out. I was like, yeah, this is me. I follow you. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> right? And, uh, and the rest is history. And, and you know, when Alex decided to retire, we, uh, we did a very, we did this very, remember we did the subterfuge thing. Rachel and Alice came down to Richmond, Virginia to visit. We got the back booth at my favorite restaurant and, and talked. I gotta tell you guys, so Alice and Rachel, now we've all seen Alex on TV. He's, you know, just remarkable and stoic, uh, professional the whole way. And then and, stoic, you like that? was pretty good, right? You <laughs> know, I don't know. I went, I went to college, uh, and and I, and then y'all come down, and here's Rachel, right? Who I've never, you know, Oklahoma girl, right? Redhead, you know, <laughs> and, and and remember we were sitting in that booth, and Rachel's talking, and I said, you know. I like you, <laughs> you know, I like your, vo- you've got a good voice, you know? Cause you were, you were fired up. I said, we got to find a way to work together. And this of course is July of 2020 right before I yes, even joined. Yeah, It was July of 2020. Right? I was, like like was
1: going to
0: get COVID. Right. Yeah. It was like I our first it, excursion. Everything about it.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. we had not yeah. been
1: out anywhere in months and months.
0: Well, I'm honored you chose to come down and visit me in Richmond and, and, and look where it left us. And, you know, and, and, and of course you were living, I mean, back to what we were just talking about before, as I, on my intro is, you know, at that moment you guys were going through it. Yeah. You, you had just decided to retire, mm-hmm. Alex just decided to retire dealing with Esper. I mean, I, I, you must be, it must just drive you crazy. You know, you know, it, it's been, you know, seeing what's going on with Esper right now. I know you've got some strong feelings about that. I mean, just pull the ripcord. I mean,
1: yeah, these I mean, booked you know, it. They're feelings. all being
0: rewritten, Right. Yeah. How do you feel about it's, that?
1: I mean, Hmm. mostly it just really hurts because I try not even to think about it, to be honest. Like, I mean, I understand that it's necessary to work through feelings and think about them. But those were such dark days. Yeah. And we're on the other side of it now. So I really do try not to think about it. But reading his words, because someone sent us... um. They wanted Alex to comment on it. So they sent us some pictures of the pages that he talked about Alex. And I really like the um, the evolution of, of kind of what he's done. Because when he first resigned, both he and then later Secretary McCarthy, who replaced us for a Secretary of the Army. Right. I found it so strange in their exit interviews or whatever you want to call them, they granted them right. actually to like military times or army times. One right. of those, um, one of those publications and they both specifically mentioned Alex, which I found off because, and what they were doing was really trying to get a, a, ahead of the story and talked about how, what they did for Alex, because I guess they felt like we had, I don't know. I mean that we had somehow tarnished it. Uh, or right. misrepresented all that they had done for us. Again, that, and so what I tweeted yesterday, I think is really true. Somehow Esper is in this rehab tour that he's doing and his book, he manages to be both the hero of Alex's story and the <laughs> victim because he was so disappointed in Alex retiring, feeling that he, he right. felt you know the comments that Alex made. And I actually remember this. The day after Alex retired or sorry announced his retirement um he got a phone call from someone who I think is the person that uh, if you in the book there's he says there was a senior officer who was assigned to Alex this person was not reachable so, right. unless he had a specific message to give Alex, but if Alex, it was a one way communication and it was not right. him checking on us regularly. It just was not the case. And, um, he, and he called and he was really upset. He was traveling with the Army Chief of Staff, General McConville. They have been in Singapore and then they were in Bangkok and he called from Bangkok and he was just, Like, the chief was mad. The sec deaf was mad. I mean, this was, like, the message he was calling to Alex. And Alex was like, dude, uh," I heard him talking to him, and I just wanted to grab the phone. But Alex was ever (laughs) the officer and lots of sir sandwiches. And he was respectful in every way I've always known Alex to be. But he also was like, you left me no choice. And this is the choice I made for my family. But, you know, I mean, look. If I'm being very charitable, perhaps it's possible that Secretary Esper and, or should I call him Dr. Esper, I don't know, that he and General McConville and General Milley, maybe they didn't know that we weren't taken care of. Maybe they told someone to do it and someone didn't. I really have no idea. All I know is that we had no idea what was going on. We had no idea if he was in good standing. All we could go on were things that are in Alex's book that he mentioned it's like the current, I think, UCOM commander or, um, right. uh, uh, what do you call that person? Um, but, uh, so, your Sackier or right? whatever. Uh, yeah, Sackier. Yep. I can't think of his name, but um, he told Alex that he had flown too close to the sun and he needed a rehabilitative assignment. And these were, and these people are still serving, by the way. These of are course. the, um, this is the feedback that Alex had to go on. So there was nothing in between. There was no one that took the time to actually talk to him. So anyway, that's what it is. But that's a lot of, are you mostly, I think like oh. if you didn't know what was going on, then that's his fault for not going. And for me, it's just extremely personal. And I also, he was on Nicole Wallace yesterday, which I, I didn't see it, but I, I did see the segment later or parts of it. And I thought it yeah. was kind of funny because he was like, I mean, it wouldn't be appropriate for a secretary of defense to speak to a lieutenant colonel. like. But somehow it's appropriate for you to write 10 pages in your book about it? Like, that's, no, that's less normal. I just want you to know, that is far less normal um, for you to do that. But okay, dude, whatever. I mean, and I'm just so tired of, like, of this people trying to build him up and say what a hero he was and I agree with you. Like, why take the job? We know why you right. take the job. Because you could make untold millions for the rest right. of your life for having been Secretary of Defense of the United States. And it the answer begins and ends there. That's it. Nothing else matters. Yeah.
0: I agree. And and that's the common thread we see a lot, right, with a lot of the folks who took those jobs within this administration. I mean, look, hey, look, it almost any administration that happens, right? Let's be honest, right? Yeah, but I mean, with this one, you know, you had to really, I mean, you really had to subjugate your moral compass. <laughs> you yeah. to take your moral compass, smash the shit out of your moral compass, yeah. throw it in the garbage. <laughs> you know, I mean, people buried their moral compasses. I think to take this job, right? I mean, what else?
1: Well, I mean, just like I don't know, I, I didn't. Christopher Miller, I guess, in one of the books, because oh, he took was... over after Esper, right? Or was there yeah. someone in between? I can't remember. Yeah, he or... was the
0: act. No, he was the acting guy yeah, for the, the, acting. After the election. He talks
1: about like going home, and his wife and daughter like lost their shit. They were like. You're what? You're doing what? <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to tell you, if that had been my husband, he would not have walked out that door. Like, or I would have. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's, re- that's really hard to say. It's a counterfactual. It didn't happen. Right. But I cannot right. imagine. I, I really cannot imagine. Letting him walk out the door and do those things. I mean, I, I right. simply like it's just baffling to me that.
0: And there were so many milestones. There were so many milestones where they yes, could have like changed the directory, You know, of,
1: this was, I think, after the election, right? I mean, we have plenty of stuff to go on, and and mostly with Esper, for personal stuff aside. Why did you not say these things before? Um, the election, you know, before the, the right. before the election, or he was still a secretary after the election. Why didn't you say it? After January 6th, like, or, you know, or just all these Anywhere. times when you should have said it.
0: Yeah, Why and I think that's, not- that's it. And that's a good segue into where I, I want to talk a little bit about us working together the Lincoln Project. I think people might be interested in how that went about, but, but, you know, at the Lincoln Project, I mean, we always said that our goal, actually Steve Bannon said it for us, God bless him, but he said that these Lincoln Project guys only need to peel off about 3 to 4% of Republican voters that had voted for Donald Trump to be successful. That's all he won by, right, in a few states. And so we always had that. We used to call it the Bannon Line, <laughs> the Lincoln Project. We just need to peel off. And that's why I was brought on uh, in, in, in August of 2020 as the Senior Advisor for Veterans Affairs, which is actually after we met. It was about two weeks before we met. I think the offer. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah, and so the, um, the reasoning was that, you know, that's a big, uh, uh, constituency for the Republican party, which is, you know, veterans and military members and military family members. And, and I built the plan I had and the group I had, and I think there's even, maybe even some folks here on our today that were with us. And around the idea that I don't, I don't have to convince a lot of, of, of veterans and military members to change their mind. But just mm-hmm. a few, three years and, and if you yeah. remember, one of our big thing, and, and that's why I brought you in, was to say, look, this guy doesn't share our values. You can be a Republican, but this man is not one of us. And, yeah. and he does not share our values. He does not share our love for country. Yeah, exactly. And he sure, right? And I mean, remember this, and we had all these now, things I, I so, the, you the know.
2: story. You wrote the script.
1: And right. I know, and, and I told our story. And. And then I did an interview with Brianna Keeler and told yep. her story. And I think, you know, there, it's important as we start or talk about the row thing. I think uh, right. you mentioned we're going to discuss it. Yes, ma'am. This is the important thing: is is to tell the stories because you can talk about policy. You can talk about this. No one cares. Um, you know, right. until you talk about like what happens when this policy goes into effect. What happens when someone does this thing? Yeah. And when It wasn't just, um, you know, I I was a military spouse for 15 years and moved all over. You know, I was got back from Moscow, like, a little bit late because of a delayed flight. And I didn't get to see my mom conscious before she passed away. I was Mm. in Kiev when my father died suddenly. Like, Mm. I I mean... Mm. All these sacrifices that I felt like I made willingly, happily, I, I was all in, you know, on, yep. on the mission, on the cause, on everything of being a military spouse. And that this was also my service, um, you know, our family service, every, in the sacrifices that we made. And, and then just to have it thrown away because, um, because Alex stood up and said hey this isn't exactly right and the way that they they then handled it and and I think that was the story that I told It, it you think it's us now it is us now but this could be anyone who stands in the way of these people so don't there's nothing unique about us it'll be right this is the way these people operate anything that gets in their way they just get rid of it.
0: Right. And that's, you know, it's funny. So I, I was at the Lincoln Project. we done our first ad with, um, I did my first ad with Sully Sullenberger. Um, amazing, right man. after the, yeah, oh my God. It was, so, I gotta tell you, it was, it's one of those calls you call somebody and, and, and I, I emailed his, what his assistant or like that. And he called me that day and I'm like, Oh my God. And I, you know, Sully, you know, uh, my son Hunter was in the room with me. We're both like, Oh my God. Um, but. I, after that one, I said, you know, I, I knew you guys had, you had a unique story. And by then I knew your story, you know, the story of the American family that had gone through this. Not, I think the public knew the Alex story. But what I was going for was the true story of what happened to an American family that did the right thing. And the most powerful man in the world decided to, uh, to take him out. Do you and... know that? I don't
1: know. if you Do you remember? Because I actually I remember calling you. Yeah, and saying Jeffrey Goldberg from the Atlantic. Yes, uh, this is actually kind of relevant to some, another part we're going to discuss. Is his he had written the story about the suckers and losers comment, and right. his family had to leave because they are being threatened. It's right. weird. No Republicans cared, and I'm really shocked because right. um they didn't care. They also didn't care about us um, also having facing threats and having to leave our house. So it's right. weird. They really care about Justice Alito. Right. In the peaceful protests outside other justices house, but houses, but n- like no one cared about us or Jeffrey Goldberg. But I was yep. like, this has to end. This is, this is so stupid. It has to end. And I was just going to like take my phone and make a video. And you're like, how about we make a Lincoln project?
0: <laughs> I like, could do that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yep. it's
1: all together. Like it's, it's all that, that really pushed me over the edge, not just like, what happened to us was the one thing, but you know, a lot of times. Journalists don't want to be part of the story, right? but they're drawn into it. I mean, I would think that Supreme Court justices also don't want to be part of the story. That's not their, they're not part of the court case, but they're the one who are saying ridiculous things like we need a domestic supply of infants, right. and you know, this whole assault on everyone's rights. Um, right. Yeah. And so h- how do you think people are not gonna react to this? That's idiotic.
0: Yeah, I, and, and the ad, and so funny, but so, uh, funny, Matt had that aside, which is, I wrote the ad, which I'm really proud of. It was the first ad I'd written. It was funny, because the funny bad is, I, when you agreed, I called up Rick Wilson. I said, hey, Rick, uh, Rachel and Alex Vimmer are willing to do an ad with us. He goes, great, write it. I'm like, Rick, I've, I've never written an ad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, there, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a Lincoln project. There's, there's supposedly a documentary coming out. Well, that'll be interesting. But the camera crew was watching me. I remember being outside the back of our building out in, in Colorado or, uh, Utah going, you know, bent over like, Rick, I don't know how to write it. He goes, no, no, you, you'll figure it out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I write an ad, and I, and it was good. And it was, if you remember, I wrote it. So for those listening, I, I wrote it in Rachel's voice. I, I literally, my original script didn't even have Alex speaking. And there was two reasons for that. One, Rachel's voice is the unique voice in this story. the story. The fact of a, a mother of a child and a, and a, no, no, a patriot, a, a military spouse who's gone through this. But Alex, and we knew, and two, we knew Alex's voice. We've seen Alex speak. We saw him on TV. His story, we tell Alex's side of the story through the footage of his testimony and all. And then three, knowing Rachel and Alex, Alex is a freaking stiff, right? So, (laughs) you know, I mean, I love him, but he's he's exactly the guy you saw on TV, right? And I said, look, we cannot give Alex a a script, you know, And, and so... The funny story, so we do that, everybody agrees to it. Rick hated it. Rick hated that idea. And Rick is the boss. So he does some edits, and then of course our course are wonderful. We partner with Vote Vets, which was amazing. John Solz, we agreed to partner with Vote Vets on that. And, uh, their director, Jay Toscano, who I just think the world of, uh, what shot, right? And if you remember, right. we shot at, it, was, so I was in Utah, so Hunter, my mm-hmm. son, who was like my research yeah. assistant, he drove up to your house, so he drove up to Rachel and Alex's house for the shoot day, and Hunter was like, call oh, me, he's like, dad, dad, he goes, it'd be Fred, I guess, your friend. They changed your script, and I was like, okay, that's fine, you know, it's good, you go, yeah, he goes, but they got Alex talking. I said, great, how many, uh, how many takes did you do of Alex's <laughs> part? <pie?" laughs> how many takes yeah. did it take, Rachel? <laughs> uh, like twenty. Uh,
2: at, least, at least there were so so. Many.
0: You were I mean, done in like was, an hour.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I could have done it in probably four or five days. It <laughs> was, and you know, I mean, it's it's weird. But it's Alex good. Alex is like the fun person. He's the right. fun parent. He's the fun uncle. He's like, um, I mean. Yeah, he is, <laughs> but he is not a scripted person. No, so um, no. it takes him a while. And I think even when you met us the first time, it took it takes a while for him to let his guard down and warm up to people. Exactly, he's, he's quite well, not, not suspicious, just guarded. I mean, no, you know, smart. It's, the difference is, I also, I mean, aside from obvious gender differences and personality differences, but I mean, I grew up <laughs> in Oklahoma. I grew up in you know, kind yeah. of we consider ourselves the South, and then. Yeah. He was in, you know, an immigrant in New York City where you have to kind of have that guard up. So it's just, yeah. you know, it's just a very different approach to yeah,
0: people. It was and
1: you kind of never really, you know, you never really leave that. But, um, yeah. So we
0: came out pretty good. We did yeah, well, we you did, know, good and good then good of course of
1: collaborating. Yeah. Now
0: we after. do. And, now we're, yep. you
1: know, and I, I want to say something about, um, you know, our friends in the Lincoln project and work at sure. the Lincoln project. I think sure. we need to really. I mean, this is for everyone, but like, again, we are still in a critical all hands on deck. Like we might not make it like democracy, democracy situation. Like we need to just step back. um, And I think have everyone working together and using their talents to the maximum. I mean, so however that, whatever that looks like and whatever people are good at, we need to allow them to use those talents and reach the people that they can reach, um, you know, the best way because everyone has different strengths and that's something we really need to get back to, um, as we head into the midterms and 2024 is coming together and less, you know, arguing amongst ourselves. It happens on the Republican side too. It's not unique to us, but we really need to have like eye on the prize right now. Yeah,
0: a coalition. Take. And, and the thing is, I'm, it, is a, it right?
1: is a coalition. It is a coalition, and, and I was really it like proud a of that coalition government.
0: Right, and I was proud of the fact that my colleagues there, my former colleagues there, you know, we we never said we won that thing, right? We we, we you know we we always said you know we were part of a coalition of efforts. We did our part. Mm-hmm. We had a unique you know they have a unique voice. They did yes. especially in the general. We were the ones that I think the joke was you know when. when when they go low, you know, we'll go low for you. <laughs> you know, you know, so the dems don't have to, you know, and and I and I it was a, it's an uncomfortable feeling. You know, it's funny rage on that. No, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. And I watched
1: you, it
0: because you told us that. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. And you know, in season 2, and if I'm giving away spoilers, that's your I'm sorry about that. Y'all just get yeah,
1: stuff. But if you
0: remember in season 2 Jamie Tart if Roy was mad because Jamie Tart was was playing as a team player, and and Roy's point to Ted was you made him a nice guy, and they really needed him to not to be an asshole. And and mm-hmm. what it taught, I took away from that is like that's the truth. Like even the good guys, the good guys, the the white hats, you you kind of need somebody who's willing to wear a black hat, right, on your team. You need a guy mm-hmm. who's going to take the yellow card. You need a tie to get in the head of your opponent. If you look at that episode. I think, You remember, if you remember, Jamie kind of makes the air guy, you know, foul him, uh, get a penalty and he gets, he gets a shot out of it and wins the game. And, and I, and I really take that away in many ways to my life at the Lincoln Project. I was always an army officer. I was... I saw myself as the good guy. I kind of still do, but maybe I'm deluding myself. But, but again, in that I case, right, we were the, we were the kind of the black hats of the team. We were willing to do the things and say the things that made our peers uncomfortable. And I think it still makes them uncomfortable, but, but we had to say some hard truths. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and my, my ads, cause you remember I did the Sully, I did you guys, and then I did the one with Mark Hamill. So my mm-hmm. ads were more of the, Warm and fuzzy ones, to be honest with you, but but we did some pretty harsh, hard things and said the because I think it need to be said, and it worked. We got yeah. in the guy's head, so anyway, I think there's a lesson learned. It still does. I it mean,
1: does, it does, we, we still need it, still need to say things. And actually, uh, we kind of need the democrats in office to like be a little bit, um, well, there you go, have a little bit more of a killer instinct, well. right? Like, uh, well, look, what, it's, it's
0: just, yeah. Look what happened yesterday. You know, uh, Jen came out and uh, uh, and she went hard when when they asked her about the the oh you yeah. keep saying Rick oh he said Republicans are against this and it was brilliant. She like opened her book, so well let me read all these Republicans who support this. And and what was interesting about that, and there was a great point about it on Today Online was what ha- what happened yesterday is after her press conference, Fox News spent the rest of the day pushing like fighting her, saying oh you know Rick Scott's on an island by himself. He's that dork that mm-hmm. nobody wants to hang out with because. They got them for once. Mm-hmm. They had the Republicans yeah. and the Republican propaganda machine having to defend for once instead of on the attack. And I think there was – I'm praying that they take that lesson and say, oh, OK, got to push back and we got to hold them accountable. Again, those deceptive lies we've been seeing. No, it bullshit. It's not the leak. It's the content. Now, before we get to that topic, I want, I do want to talk about that topic as our third topic. Um, for those of you listening, your first time, I know you're new to, new to call in. Hell, I'm new to call in, so bear with me. If you, we all are, except Avery. If you see Avery there. Hi, Avery. Thanks for guarding me. Uh, you know, um, uh, if you, if you, uh, if you're new to it, if you want to ask a question, there's a little phone, there's a phone icon on your screen and, and you click that and you'll go into the queue. And if we've got time, if, if, if it's good, we'll, we'll, we'll take a call, a couple of calls from you you guys to ask me or Rachel some questions. So if you're interested in that, just go ahead and hit that at some point and we'll take your call and you can talk. I'll have to unmute yourself when I call on you, but I'd love to, if you're interested, we'd love to have you um, chime in. I know I've got some friends here. who I'd love to talk to you. Um, so uh, going that, so that taunt, that point though, as you said, I mean, we had this, we just had this ruling or this loss, uh, Manchin voted with the Republicans, uh, 49-51, mm-hmm. and, and so we're facing some real challenges. Now, you're, on your podcast, you're, it's called The Suburban Woman Problem. You guys focus on you, you and your colleagues, the three of you, talk a lot about the, the issue. You're a former Republican. And you know, I really mm-hmm. want to chat with you around this illegally. Um, you know, I, 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 this could be a bridge issue for Democrats and Republican women, right? I mean, we know there are Republican women who are who are pro-choice, um, maybe they're very quiet about it, but we know it's just the percentage of Americans who support not overturning Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. by some measure, 60% of Americans. There's no way those don't include Republicans. Um, you know, what's your thought on the approach to that? I mean, do you think, I'd love to get your perspective on as we go into this cycle, as we're, I'm, as you know, I'm on a couple of campaigns. I've got a congressional campaign and I'm also helping a senator, a Senate campaign. How do you think people should be approaching this as, as, as someone in your position, as a woman who's been in this issue, you know, dealing with this issue?
1: Um, yeah, I have a, we were just talking about it today in group text and we discussed it on our podcast this week. So at first I was really, part of my frustration and, and being upset after the initial shock of it was, right. this is not going to matter in November, the economy, inflation, mm-hmm. and the crime crime rate are absolutely going to overshadow this because they right. will just message the heck, heck out of that and that is something that people feel every day. Right Um, Now, they don't know when to quit. And um, they just, as they continue to kind of pass these bills and try to pass bills in places, and some of the candidates say things like, you know, that they want to really restrict access to birth control and make that, you know, a state issue, access to birth control. And um, as I shared on Twitter, like, I actually had three atopper pregnancies Alex and I had. A really long and and sad uh, fertility history and yeah. um, journey. So um, I I know what it's like to go and hope to see a heartbeat at six weeks. And um, then when I said that, people said, that's not really a heartbeat. I mean, okay, I there don't think go. that's the way we're going to win this. Okay, so I need <laughs> you to keep those, there those you go. Inside, in, in your head. Please, yep. Okay. But, um, and, and then, you you know, I had a legitimate, when we lived in Germany, a legitimate emergency surgery for an ectopic pregnancy. I arrived, I thought I was having a miscarriage. I arrived at the doctor's office, which was in a hospital. It's a very German thing to do. And within 30 minutes, I was just like a routine to make sure I was, you know, having a miscarriage normally, naturally. And within 30 minutes, I was in the, I was in the operating room. So Mm. I wouldn't have time to go to another state if I were in a state that didn't allow for removal of an ectopic pregnancy if that was considered an abortion. And we already see in Texas where there are prescriptions for Plan B, um, and they are not giving those. The pharmacies will not fulfill those. They will not fill those prescriptions, and right. people are very scared because the ambiguity of the law. And I think you'll continue to see that expound and honestly at this point fred and i know this sounds really harsh and i'm not trying until the reality is like there are probably women who are going to die there are bad things that are going to happen in this situation um but until those things happen no one's going to believe it's an issue and even like last week alex said to me at the end of the week he was like why are you so upset and i was like well i mean the news is just horrible this week alex and right like kind of gives me this look and i'm like you know and he he sincerely kind of was like oh that's not really gonna happen i'm like yes it is like tune in why don't you read and so i kind of you know <laughs> start showing him, apparently he doesn't read my tweet and i start showing what? him some stuff i know right um and he's like this is real and i was like yeah i know i mean you know but i think it there's all this idea also this idea that it's not going to affect everyone i mean for us it's probably not going to affect us. And I reminded him that we have an 11-year-old daughter, which, I mean, Mm -hmm. he couldn't think about that affecting her. But the reality is it could, Fred. I mean, that's the...
2: Absolutely.
1: Anything could happen. I mean, you know, like, God forbid it does. I get it. But this is something that affects all Americans. And there is right now kind of a, a disconnect. But as we go closer, and I do think that this is something that we can... That is going to get even worse because as these state legislators who, who don't know what they're doing, by the way, I mean, no, a lot of no, them, like I'm, no,
0: I'm in Missouri. Minorities. I'm in Missouri. Jesus. The trigger law here is unbelievable.
1: Right. That's <laughs> so, and and I think that's what people, the, they don't realize these trigger laws. As soon as Roe v. Wade is yeah. off the books, then these laws that will go into a place in place are extremely restrictive and people just are not paying attention. They will. But it'll be too late for a lot of people. Right. Women. I mean, and here in Missouri, it's an outlaw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're toast. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: that's when people start paying attention after the fact. Nah. Right? Yeah. Because no one, I mean, like all the stop the steal bullshit and everything that went on. And then we had January 6th and we were like, Oh, okay. What? Wait, what? Like what's going on? But, yep. I mean, people cared about it, but they ignored it because they were like, nothing's going to happen. This is the United States of America. We have a peaceful transition of power this is the way we do it. Like we always had, it's not going to be an issue. And then we had January 6th and people were shocked. This is going to be another January 6th over many, many days. Yeah. Women are going to have serious health concerns and or die. And then people are going to start paying attention, but it's going to take a while to, to fix it. And I think a lot of people just simply do not understand. So I do think it will be an issue Yeah. Um, to me. It's a very personal issue. So I mean, I think like a lot, I had to kind of get over it's like with Esper. I guess I had to get over the personal thing before I could kind of think about it more or less, you know, zoom out, you know, and right. and see how we can But but what we have to do is tell stories. And I know in our group we've had a lot of women who are openly sharing their stories of, you know, abortions they had or other personal stories and it's been, I mean, I I applaud them because these are the stories that we've kept and we don't tell anyone and it's very personal. But when we share this with people, it changes people's minds because it's much, much more difficult to demonize someone that you don't know and a story that you've never heard. But when it's your friend and your neighbor or someone that you're in church with or PTO with, and then you see like, Oh, okay. Maybe there's more to this than I thought. Those are the stories that are going to change people's minds. And if we can get those stories out, I do think the Democrats, uh, it's the Republicans, I mean, you know, we we know what happens in midterms, but I think there's a chance.
0: I think these are local issues. I mean, the state trigger law here, the the trigger law in Missouri will outlaw IUDs. Okay, Uh, a very common because it literally says life begins at uh, fertilization. It's insanity, not not conception fertilization, (laughs) which is the same. But you know, literally, you're not even allowed to. You know, Plan B is outlawed. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I know, I know, there's women in my life. Who have gone to Costco and bought up as many of the plan B's they could get their hands on because of being out they're gonna be outlawed in Missouri mm-hmm. uh, uh, let, let's say you got teenage sons maybe things happen like they do sometimes yeah. with teenagers uh, their girlfriends unable to just get the simple mm-hmm. the morning after it, it's just the the extent to which the extremists are gonna go uh, is unbelievable and 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 you know there was there's a joke at the beginning of this where people are saying well it's like the dog that caught the Car farming. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think this was. I think this was really the plan. I think the extremists are ready for it, uh, mm-hmm. and it and ain't going to stop at abortion. They're not going to stop. They're they're not going to stop it. It's 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 going to go to contraception. It's going to go to. Jesus, I don't want to think of what it could go to. You know, interracial marriage. No, but I mean, it is but I, You know,
1: yeah, it is. It's going to go to all these things. I mean, and I agree with you. I don't think it's the dog that caught the car. I think this is what they want, and this is the tyranny of the minority. This there you is. Go. State that have one representative for the whole state and two senators. Yep. Being able to manipulate the system and tell us all what to do. So, yep. I, I mean, you know, make laws for everyone because this is happening in the Senate. Yes. And it's this, this is where these things are happening. These extremely red states. And no, I
2: agree.
1: They are manipulating it. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think about places where I've been, and I'm like, that's so weird. Like this, uh, these countries where they have like the minority, the tyranny of the minority. And I think like, right. don't these people know? They're like, there's more of them than the other. But yet, they docilely like you know, allow this to happen. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, well, look in the mirror, United You've States, lived in that's well, us right it. now.
0: I mean, what happens to military members stationed at Whiteman Air Force Base here in Missouri? Uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it, in I mean- Yeah, no, Texas. we talked about I mean, that last week yeah, we it's shocking. with
1: Vote Vets, and I was yeah. totally outgunned with Jessica Goldbeck and <laughs> retired Major General uh, Tammy Smith. I was like, they don't <laughs> ever do that to me again. They're like so, they, uh, it was, it was uh,
0: it was embarrassing but they're they nah, were they're, they're in know. awe of you rachel yeah, i've known you for a while I mean, by now you're pretty damn intimidating i don't know if you know you this
1: they <laughs> talked about it they also talked about it from a readiness perspective for our military right um a you know big I mean, one for yeah yeah huge for so there's and the the pentagon will have to i mean major general smith said something that i thought was good like the good thing is we know this is coming, so the DOD will have time to think about it, what they'll do, you know. I mean, right. they probably start working on it last Monday or Tuesday, it happened right. Monday night. But, you know, will start thinking about it. But um, it's a lot. And uh, while, you know, you look like – so Louisiana law is particularly restrictive. One of the three mm-hmm. major training bases in the world is in Louisiana. Right. And, you know, like what –
0: They're talking about murder. They're talking about charging, charging mothers with murder. It's insanity.
1: And, and, and also military training facilities, sorry, military treatment facilities cannot, um, hospitals, they cannot provide abortion, um, to service members unless it is harm of the, of the mother, and um, hmm. abortions are not covered by the military insurance because of the uh, the act that said that government right. funds will not be used to pay for abortions. So that includes wow. military healthcare.
0: And even so more there's... disturbing, and Rachel, even more disturbing, though, is so many of our military treatment facilities don't even have OBGYNs anymore. Yeah, so much yeah, of and, and they're, yeah, they're reorganized, and they, they've outsourced that to the local mm-hmm. community. So now our military but services But no one wants are... to take
1: tricar because they don't right. have anything.
0: It's, it's right. like
1: truly, even here, I, have a, I had a hard time I found an OBGYN who actually is not an OB. So that's the only way. And they take TRICARE, but the ones who do OB work don't want to take TRICARE because they don't get paid anything. Wow. Um, anyway, that's a story for another day, but, yeah. uh, it, and I live in the national capital region. I should call there you it go. that. So right. I live in like where a, a ton of people live and um, military members and retired military members and people who have this insurance and the doctors are like, no thanks. We'll just take all the other patients, and so they're saying no to a bunch of people, and yep. but this all is part of the problem of like of where are people going to go, and um and I, and I, I again I just so in Virginia you, know, you move from Virginia to Louisiana I mean to to Missouri um not Louisiana and you know in Virginia we're just like one state senate seat away from having some restrictive laws on abortions. Yeah. So, I that's another thing. It's like I
0: just donated like, Louise Lucas. I just yeah, <laughs> I just right? I just bought a Louise blue vest. I uh, will no. tell you what. And I live in Missouri, but I'm so I'm support Louise that's Lucas, if you guys don't know is the the, the president of the she's Senate in Virginia. Yeah. I love yeah. Her.
1: And I mean, she's telling the story like good for her for saying it because She's it. These people need to realize that. Like you're going throughout your day and you're worried that gas prices are high and I get it. Gas prices are high and I hate it too. But um
0: that know, chief, we've got to right? work on
1: that. Like we've got to work on that, but it cannot be the only thing we think about. We've got to think a little bit, you know, forward, um, look towards the horizon, and not just like what's in front of your nose.
0: Great. Hey, look, I, I want to take some calls because we have time, and okay. I see Connie is in line. Connie, I'm going to bring you in next. Maybe you can ask a question, and would love to hear from you. And go ahead, just unmute yourself, Connie. You're all set. It's the bottom. There you go
2: all right thank you it's nice listening to you fred and rachel and uh rachel i have i fangirl you can't wait to talk to you and meet you (laughs) um so when i watch all these different things unfold a lot of times people just say you gotta vote Uh and looking at what's happening where i'm at in ohio and the gerrymandered maps the constitutional amendment that says you got to fix the maps the Republicans stalling, stalling, stalling to the point where the federal court mm-hmm. says, well, if you don't have new maps, then you got to go back to the old gerrymandered unacceptable maps. How is voting going to really fix it if they're not even working on behalf of the people, the will of the people? It feels very hopeless. Help me not be hopeless. <laughs> uh, great. You know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to answer something and then I'll let Freddie answer it.
1: I'll say it quickly is um, we were at the Tucson Book Festival, and someone asked my husband this question, and it was on a panel. And at first, he punted, and he let someone else answer first, and he gathered his thoughts. And I thought his answer was really good. He said, "You know, I've lived in countries where your vote doesn't count, and we're not there yet. So, I—I I mean, I understand that it feels very rigged, and in a lot of ways, it is. And—and and although I—I'm familiar because." Touble my podcast, one of my podcast call it co-hosts lives in Ohio and the organization that I work with, Red, Wine and Blue, is also um, in Ohio. I would encourage you, if you're not already plugged in with them, to plug in with Red, Wine and Blue, yeah. because we're very active. and um, But, you know, uh, the, the same goes, you can't out-organize um, voter suppression, and that's true, but you can make a lot of headway. And while we might not, it'll be harder in the local elections. And we are talking about the importance of local elections and local legislators. Um, I do think on a statewide level, if we are getting registering people to vote, making sure they vote like the Republicans do, particularly in the midterms, we do have a chance. And we have to make the difference where we can. Um, And I do think that it's still possible in the Senate race. Um, and if JD Vance doesn't, you know, inspire you to go out and work every day on <laughs> Tim Ryan, then nothing oh. ever will. I think you know that. And then, um, y- you know, for, for the house race, you know, wherever you are, um, if there is someone running, you know, and, and I just encourage like basic conversations, talking about the issues in a rational way with your neighbors, with your friends. And because you have to, a lot of these people are just getting their news from one source like Fox News or Facebook. And I spend a lot of time with some of my friends just dispelling that stuff. And they're not really taking it in, but they're taking it in, you know, very kind of um, superficially. But it still yeah. gets in their head and they think about it. What do you think, Fred?
0: Uh, that's a great question. I think he nailed it. I, I, I was just actually talking to a, a guy who's running for state senate here in Missouri just this morning over coffee. And obviously Missouri is a super major super minority state for Democrats. Um mm-hmm. our friends Republicans have all but two to one us out here. And I think there's two things. One <clears throat> I, I, I did I I actually will push back saying that we are voting. You hear, I hear that a lot from Democratic voters. Like, well, we voted and you guys aren't helping us. Well, the truth is, if you look at Virginia and, and, and Rachel, you're in Virginia. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, CRT is why he didn't win or all that. Oh, no, okay. in the end, what happened is it's very clear what happened in Virginia. First of all, the youth vote fell by like 30,000 votes from mm-hmm. 2020, yeah. to 2020 to 2021. So people stayed home. Mr. McAuliffe, God bless him ran a shit campaign. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. There's just, he, he, he completely ignored rural Virginia. So look, if you've got a 37% uh, district in, in rural Virginia or rural Missouri, and it's only 37%, that's the best we can get about we already got with 37% of Democrats. But if you don't bother campaigning or motivating those 37% of, of, of citizens who are Democrats, and only 20% of those 37 even vote, you lose a statewide race, which is what happened to Terry McAuliffe. He decided mm-hmm. to write off a big chunk of Virginia, yeah. right? And, and, and then Dem stayed home. And he lost by a slim margin because he was, he just thought he was going to win, right? And, and so I, I would argue that maybe we aren't all voting when we say we are. We do outnumber them at this point. We know that nationally mm-hmm. we do. Now, the Republicans are very, very good at gerrymandering. They're very good at voter suppression. They're very good. And they're doing a very concerted effort right now since 2020. Um, I think 14 states have passed laws restricting it. I'm working yeah. on a, a working on a campaign down in georgia uh, Georgia right now we keep getting a message early voting is going on right now in georgia for the primary and i'm getting messages regularly from voters who are going in to vote and they've been removed from the rolls just randomly removed so so there is an active effort by the republican party to suppress votes but i you know i'm an old old veteran you know and 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 i i believe there's one of the things we use in counter-surgery is the ink spot strategy right if you remember this from the early days of Iraq, I'm sure you're all, if, you, if you're around then, is the idea that I secure an area, I, I put in um, a good sort port for the local civilians, I put in local indigenous uh, security forces, and then I, grow, that's a spot, right? And then I do another city, I grow a spot, and then I grow another spot, and I connect to those spots, and eventually the whole country is green, right? And, mm-hmm. and this is literally what we were doing in Iraq in 2006, I actually um, worked on this strategy with um reporters would ask me all the time, you know, Fred, when is the Iraqis gonna take over their country? When do we leave? And I would show them the map of where Iraqi military forces controlled their districts and I'd say, Well when this map is all green, we out. And and I think in many ways we do have to take that attitude with with our democracy. What we're gonna to have to grow we've got the ink spots say in, in in your city in, in, in Ohio and you know, Cincinnati, maybe or in Cleveland, in the cities. We're going to have to work very hard to activate our peers, activate our our our, our Dems to come out and grow their ink spots in places. I was talking to this gentleman today. His his count the 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 train wreck that is the Missouri Democratic Party. And I'm sure I'll pay for this. is just an absolute embarrassment. The, the, they're so busy stabbing each other in the back. Uh, St. Mm-hmm. Louis people don't talk to Kansas City people. Springfield people are doing their own damn thing. No one in between can figure out what the hell is going on. And and it's if we don't get our shit together as a, as a party and as activists, and bring our friends to the polls and make sure we're actually getting out the vote, then you're right. Voting won't matter. But I do believe we're, we're assuming a lot when we say that people just, we're, we're going to lose. I, I do believe, I understand your frustration, Connie. I do but I do believe that there are more of us than them and that if we get our stuff together, we organize, we get our friends to vote, we we work with campaigns. And by the way, it's not just voting. You can you can volunteer the local campaign. They need canvassers. We find consistently, if your people are knocking on doors and just talking to neighbors mm-hmm. and making sure they know what's going on, you'd be amazed how powerful canvassing can be. If you take your neighbors and your, your friends and family, there was an article in Political about three weeks ago about how Ossoff did such a wonderful job of um, uh, uh, using a, a technique of basically family like friends and family, right? Like hey, talk to your friends and family and talk to your neighbors like they use almost a, a personal network style canvas yeah, where they do. right did you see that story, Rachel? Mm-hmm. And it's great. And, and heard so about it
2: before
0: yeah yeah I had so this
1: is in Georgia yeah.
0: There you go. So we're, we're going to have to work hard, Connie. I, I wish that I could be like the eternal optimist. I, I, you know, 22 years in the army got rid of all the optimism I had in my life. But, (laughs) (laughs) however. Yes, I do.
1: But it's not like Sisyphus. I mean, I do think we can get the boulder all the way up the mountain if we all work together. Yes. But if it's one person, and then we gotta hand it off to someone else, then it's gonna be a problem. We gotta all work together. Row the same way. How many analogies can I use? I
0: but love it. Just
1: keep working together. That's together. The That's the coalition.
0: Yes. And yes. it's not
1: too late. We still have six months. We can do this. We can bring it around.
0: Six months is a long time in America. And, and with is, that, I is. think we're right at an hour. I don't want to go too long. Nobody wants to lift it up podcast all day. But, and Connie, thanks for your question. But folks, next time we're on, please join us and ask questions. You can, you can message us. You can message us here on the call and app. Um, Rachel, I, I just, I'm so glad you joined us. it has been a lot of fun. Um, man, I can't thank you enough for being part of my inaugural episode. Y'all, poor Rachel had to put up with a lot of me texting her going, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't I know the technology. I yeah, whatever. I'm so, <laughs> so excited. I'm going to go back and
1: explore this app a little bit more. You but should. I mean, it's I've very subscribed. cool. I've subscribed to some shows already.
0: There's some good ones. There's some really yes, good some, I mean, yep. Glenn Greenwald's on here. When Avery called me, he goes, yeah, Glenn Greenwald. I'm like, yeah, that's not a way to recruit me. Uh, but <laughs> So when is the next episode of Suburban Women Problem Podcast? And and where can I find uh, your our, podcast? We
1: had one today. Uh, just oh, on, wonderful. Uh, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, where. It's I think not on Spotify, but uh, you know the basic places you probably get a podcast. Right. Where where so, you where um, you
0: get your podcast? Like, there's a link. Oh, for yeah. you guys know, if you look on the in in the messages, there should be or, or maybe Avery can help me out there. There should be. I did put up a link in the on on here where you can find your uh, the link. I, I put the Walkhead article up. I did put a link to Apple Podcast where you can find Rachel um, and and her her co host. Um, and how do we find you online there? Where else? Yeah, at? Rachel?
1: Rachel Vinman is good. But yeah. at a like hobbyist. But I think if you just put Rachel Vinman, you can yeah, find me Yeah, you're the only one.
0: It's a unique <laughs> name. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: And I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's possible, but I will be on cable news tomorrow talking about Mark Esper.
0: So, oh, uh, great.
1: I've, I've made enough ways that they've asked me. Who knows? These things get canceled all the time. But if I yeah, will, I will that. put it on i i will you know scorch earth that's my policy i'm um, just
0: kidding but um, and, and, and we love it so Natsac <laughs> hobbyist N A T S C C hobbyist on on twitter um i'm on twitter as fp wellman if you don't follow me i've got a facebook page and i've got an instagram page and i've got a newsletter on a review called fp wellman unfiltered which is which is more of a backstory a lot of my story is the journey that's gotten me where i am today and i, I hope it's great
2: and was, inspiring
0: you. I need okay, to write another I need to write, I got stuck on a story that hasn't been written so uh I'm I'm getting a lot of heat. Um if you want to join us on our anti you know fighting these anti-democratic forces in America, I'd love you to check out beerhallproject.com or the, at @beerhallproject on the social networks of the world. This podcast is live on Call In. Um we're, we since we're new we're figuring it out. I'm I'm hope, I'm, I'm looking at Tuesdays and Thursdays and get this up and running um, about this time and, and we'll play with it a little bit as we figure out the best time to get as many folks to join us. Uh, we will publish on Apple and Spotify when we're all done here and if you like this show, I hope you give us a good review. Uh, if you didn't, I hope you forget it ever happened uh, and, and, uh, and we'd love to have you join us. Thank you so much for joining us on the, on the very first episode of On Demox with F.P. Wellman and uh, we're turning our regular scheduled times here next week and thank you for all your support and I see a lot of friends in the chat here. Um, thank you so much and you know what? Have a great night. Look, keep up the fight, folks. We can do this. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, it this is our democracy is at stake, and all of us are in the fight. So uh, let's do it together. So thank you so much. Have a great night.
2: Good night.